when you find scriptures that are for or against or things like that you shouldn't be afraid of looking at scripture studying scripture you must simply be have the courage to say i don't know amen and there are a lot of things in god's word that you must have the courage to say i don't know i don't know at where i am at this point of life i don't know what that means i don't know how to interpret that all i know is that i don't know that these scriptures are there it is safer than saying no what i'm saying is the right one so why did i read through all, a lot of the scriptures on no you can't lose your salvation because by reading both those set of scriptures i wanted to put a balance to how i approach the word of god i needed to know that those scriptures were also real and i also wa wanted to be sure and know that the scriptures that say you can lose your salvation are also real um so what do you do when you have this kind of a, a challenge it calls for men and women of god to be faithful to scripture and learn how to interpret it so over the next couple of hours we're going to try to do just that we're going to try to see how we can learn to be faithful to scripture for which we are going to look at principles of bible interpretation some i'm not we cannot take you through all of it and i'm also going to look at um some history of bible interpretation so if you randomly look at a way in which scriptures are understood around the world you will find there is no unanimity about the process many people have subjective ways of interpreting scripture based on where you're coming from um personal experiences with which they already looked at scripture and so there is a prejudice prejudice in the way you look at scripture when i was a child my father was a founder or a or found, founding one of the planters of the anglican church or the csi church if you may in a country called kuwait and services and uh he was the fan who did all those um, you know the services shared about jesus preached taught did the liturgy did all of that ram his son that church grew to about 330 families and about 40 singles so that's about over 1000 people in that church now i'm the son of a man who was not an official pastor but grew a church to 1000 people and um, and so when i was child baptized i got born again I got filled with the holy ghost i was so on fire for god and a cousin of mine came to me and asked me do you think that we should be water baptized after born again i said no you have to be your child baptized that's enough and so what did i do i wrote to a very prominent ministry because my heart wanted to know and so sometimes we think if a prominent man of god gives us an advice that should be fine So wrote to a very prominent minister about two situations. My cousin was going to go through a divorce. No, no, her husband had passed away. So there was this man who wanted to marry her now, and he was going to go through a divorce, and was willing to because they had been separated for many years. And he thought, now, chalo, uh, he was saying, my son likes this lady also. I can consider the marriage. And so I wasn't sure. So I wrote to them as prominent ministry. Is it okay for a person to go through a divorce and marry a second time? and also do you think i should someone should be water baptized so um and i told my cousin i said no she's my older cousin sister i said no you just need to be on fire for god and love god you've been baptized already 
and um, when I and it's a long story and then one day when I looked at the scripture the scripture said believe and be baptized every one of you and when I saw that scripture that said believe and be baptized my heart was battling now because my prejudice told me don't dishonor your father's church or the heritage you carry but the scripture told me believe and be baptized and now all the excuses started coming the priests that had told me oh the philippian jailer and his household were baptized cornelius and his household were baptized were there not children in that household you know they give you all kinds of explanations that's like saying you invited to me me to your home to have dinner and uh, and I come back after dinner me and my family we came to your home to have dinner and I have a two-month-old baby and after dinner I go back home and my father asked me what did you have for dinner oh we had biryani and kebabs so according to that logic did my two-month-old baby have biryani and kebabs you see how we can pick up scripture and we don't allow scripture to interpret scripture so when one portion of scripture one thing says you are predestined you must allow that scripture to be challenged by another aspect of scripture those are not contradictions those are different aspects of the facets of God for example the Bible says for whom he foreknew he also predestined so you cannot study predestination without studying the word for knowledge of God do you understand what I'm saying but many believers the moment they say predestination ah that word stands out so they will hold on to that one scripture they don't study what it what did God mean by saying for him who he for them whom he foreknew he predestined now the rest of that scripture says he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so what his was his predestination for salvation or was his predestination that hope those whom he foreknew would be saved he predestined to be transformed to the image of his son do you understand what i'm saying now i do not want to go into eternal security or not there's no time to take because i'll have to take words afterwards we're going to be here for the next whole week if if I get into that but what I'm going to attempt to do in the next few uh, hour and a half I'm going to attempt to simply give you principles I am not going to attempt to answer all your questions is that okay and if you're going to be a good student of the Word of God and these principles at least you will know what are some principles I must use to go back to apply the Word of God so we further see that um, many uh, we further think that it's quite all right to interpret scripture any way we would want to if our heart is right my heart is right with God therefore uh, you know I just accept my child baptism as as the adult baptism that God wants uh, well I'll just honor my priest who baptized me as a child you know we so we that doesn't interpret scripture that simply says I'm choosing to do what I am feeling like doing I'm following my feeling I am not honoring scripture I'm not being faithful to interpreting scripture I'm simply saying I'm following my feeling I want to accept what the priest did I want to accept what my daddy and mommy did 
simply because I honor my father and mother. And the Bible says, honor your father and mother. Bible also says, honor God above your father and mother. You see that? So you hold on to honor your father and mother to disobey scripture, rather than being faithful to scripture, by answering, honor your father and mother. But the Bible also says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Do you see how scripture interprets? So on one side, we must obey our parents. We must honor our father and mother. But the moment we honor our father and mother above scripture, we dishonor God. Do you understand? So we are ignoring the honor, obey your father and mother in the Lord. And we hold on to one scripture. So, the real issue of interpreting scripture is not just based on the principles of scripture, it's also based on the integrity of your heart. Amen? It's also based on the integrity of your heart. It also is based on the knowledge of how to interpret scripture. So I used that integrity of your heart example just now for parents and all that. It's also based, interpreting scripture is based on many things. It is also based on the knowledge of how to interpret scripture. So many people, they read scripture and because they don't know how to interpret scripture, uh, they genuinely believe how they interpreted it is correct. I have a family which was my father's best friend's family. My father's best friend passed away in 1979. It was very dear to her home and when I was a little boy, my parents used to drop me off at their place. And my father's best friend's wife used to take care of me for early years of my life when my parents went to work. And so I'm very close to that family. I'm, very, I'm like a son in the home. One day I went to their home. Uh, now years had gone by, about 20 odd years had gone by. Uh, I went to their home and I said, hello auntie, how are you doing? And she was in the kitchen washing dishes. Now, I'm not a guest in that home. So I can walk in anywhere I want. And she was washing dishes. I went to the back, I gave her a hug. I said, auntie, how are you doing? So washing dishes, she said, hmm. So I said, what? What's that? She said, hmm. I said, what happened? She said, She's in the room. I said, who's in the room? So she's in the room. She was talking about her daughter-in-law. So, so this was her, uh, one of her daughter-in-laws. They're all older than me. I was there for the wedding. I helped them put them, you know, things together. She said, she's locked up in the room. I said, okay. Now, by now, I'm a man of God in full-time ministry. So I said, okay. Auntie, let me see. I'll sort this out. And her husband is not in, in town. He's working in another country. So now this mother-in-law and daughter-in-law had problems. <laughs> and the daughter-in-law locked herself up in the room. So, and the daughter-in-law came from another faith and had accepted Jesus. And she on fire for God. So I went to the room and I knocked the door. Because they're all family to me. I knocked the door and I said, excuse me, sister, please step out. She opens the door when she hears my voice. She opens the door, she's in tears, she's crying. It's been three days. 
She's crying. Jesus knows what I'm going through. <laughs> Nobody understands. Husband doesn't understand. Brothers don't understand. Family doesn't understand. Only Jesus understands. Anyway. But that was the same thing the mother-in-law was saying. So I don't know whom Jesus understood. <laughs> so I said, sister, come, come, come out of the room. And I said, sit down, tell me what happened. She said, I was praying. I'm being troubled by this mother-in-law. And I've been praying. And Jesus spoke to me. And you know that scripture, be still and know that I'm God. In my native language, in my native language, it says, keep quiet and know that I'm God. It literally means, keep quiet. So when she read her Bible in the native language, it said, zip up and know that I'm God. So for the last three days, she refused to speak to anybody. <laughs> and she's weeping and saying, because Jesus... Jesus knows what I'm going through. He told me to keep quiet. Now, as a Bible teacher, I'm listening to her. And she's a genuine, genuine Christian. On fire, zeal without knowledge. Why I shared this example is that the text and context changes. But the way we approach it often is the same. We misinterpret scripture because of ignorance. We can misinterpret scripture because of preference. I prefer to understand the scripture like this. For example, women shall remain silent in church. Now, if I grew up insecure with my mother. And my mother was a very loud person. And my father was also loud and all three of kids. We have five loud people in the house. So you can just imagine what that house is like. We have five leaders and we have five loud people. But because of my prejudice against women, what was my prejudice? It was against my mother. That my mother is loud and causes confusion in the family and she says all kinds of things at the wrong time. And my father has been a saving grace in our home. He has kept the home together. He has kept the marriage together. He has kept... It's a very different home from many of your homes. Many of your homes, father is the problem. All right. <laughs> My home, it was opposite. My mom, she's very loving, but she has a mind of her own. And she decides... If she decides the squirrel has five legs... <laughs> the squirrel has five legs. Nobody can disprove her. Nobody can say anything to her. Because she said, the squirrel has five legs. Now growing up in that kind of home, and my mom used to say things, shoot, you know, she was trigger happy. She'd shoot off her shoulder. She'd say things in public that we would squirm. We were like, I don't believe she said that. No, she didn't, she didn't say that. She didn't say that. And 
the guests sometimes would laugh. <laughs> now this is the home I grew up in. And hence for me, as I grew up as a young child, women said dumb things. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm using this example for you to understand prejudice. I'm using my example. If you have the courage, look into your life to see if you have prejudices. So I would not like a woman to speak up anywhere in those days. Why? Because I believe the women said the wrong thing because my mother said the wrong things. And then I got born again. And then I encountered God's love. And then I saw in scripture, women shall remain silent in church. Aha. Can you see how it became easy for me to believe that two-thirds of the kingdom of God should be silenced? You know how happy Satan can be with that? But somewhere on the journey, I encountered God's love. When I encountered God's love, God began to heal me against my, about my prejudice against women. And then I went back to that scripture and every time I saw that scripture, I asked myself the question, are you faithful to scripture? What does the scripture actually say? And I know there are people that say, women are silent. I learned it, I studied it. The more I saw it, the more I understood. The Bible does not say women must keep quiet. There are so many scriptures. And there are Bible principles. I know some of your eyes are opening up now. What does he say? Women can talk? Absolutely women can talk. God has given them a mouth. <laughs> but women have a place and time to talk. So do men. The Bible says, and he gave gifts to men. Ephesians 4, 11. And he ascended on high, gave gifts to men. Correct? Uh, throw, throw that scripture if you can. Ephesians 4, 11. He ascended on high and gave gifts to men. To? 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 See, this is where you must learn Bible interpretation. He ascended on high, gave gifts to men, some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some pastors and teachers. But you know what the Greek says? He ascended on high and gave gifts to mankind. Yeah? Mankind. He gave gifts to mankind. What does it say? Verse 10. He gave gifts to mankind. Some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to evangelists, pastors and teachers. So that's not men. But our Bibles translate it as gave gifts to men. Another portion it says women shall remain silent. No, I have no time to get into all of that. I do not want to get into all of that. But I had to do a journey of keeping my prejudice aside. And accepting the fact that God wanted women to be part of his kingdom army. Now, if I didn't face my prejudice, I would continue to interpret it wrong. I do know women have a place in the kingdom. I do know women have, uh, you know, something rightful they're supposed to do. So some folks handle snakes in their worship service because they think the Bible says you will take snakes and they will not harm you. You will drink deadly poison and it will not harm you. Um, different people practice it very differently. 
all of these various practices have come about because of their particular way of looking at scripture. Though many may not run into extremes mentioned, we still differ from one another on how to study scripture. Certain churches have found out a new and safe way out of this trouble. Their answer is, stick on to pastor's official interpretation of scripture. Or the church's uh, official, if that church has an official interpretation of scripture. Stick on to that. This official position of the Roman Catholic Church and other large churches like that spread out around the world, they have an official position because they do not want their priests to come up with individual positions all over. We being spirit-filled churches, we are filled with the Holy Spirit, sometimes with other spirits. So, 3 o'clock in the morning while the pastor was praying, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. We're not sure which spirit it is, but some, of, some freak interpretations come out. So, do we have official position? <laughs> that when you were a single church, you as a senior pastor may have had, oh, the Holy Ghost is speaking to me at 3 o'clock in the morning. Now you have 100 churches and you have 100 pastors to whom the Holy Ghost is speaking. Different interpretations of the same words that Holy Ghost spoke to you 3 o'clock in the morning 10 years ago. Now you have 100 interpretations of it. Now you don't know what to do. Because to each one, of the pastors under your ministry, the Holy Ghost spoke different interpretations. Now what shall you do? So now you will become like the Roman Catholic Church. You will say, the official position of our ministry is. Can you see how things evolve? And then some will break away from your movement. They'll plant their own church. They will say, our senior pastor, he wants only official position of the ministry. But I feel three o'clock in the morning, God is speaking to me. And then he will start his own church. And then he will say, I am spirit led. Then he will grow. It will be 100 people. And then we will have 100 interpretations at 3. Can you see this, this confusion going on? So could there be common principles by which we could study? More than that, would God have meant for us to understand scripture any way we wanted at 3 o'clock in the morning? You know, I like a lot of these people who tell us, Three o'clock in the morning while I was praying. What do I care what time you were praying? So a lot of people come into the pastor three o'clock today morning while I was praying. You know, one, they want you to know they were praying at three o'clock. Two, they'd like you to know pastor while you were sleeping. And I was praying. You know, I've had people in my church. This is crazy. I've had people in my church at four in the morning call me. Senior elderly people, I mean they're 70 years old, at 70 you don't have sleep. Man, I mean I'm, I was in my 30s or 40s at that time. I, and he calls me at 4 o'clock and he says, Pastor, yes, I just called to find out what you're doing. What? <laughs> For crying out loud, you're 70 years old. I know you don't have sleep and I know you've married a difficult woman you've got to pray more than me I know I have a peaceful marriage and I believe the scripture tells me for the Lord grants sleep to those whom he loves if I were to interpret that scripture for you you are sleepless because God doesn't love you Do 
you understand? For the Lord grants sleep to those whom he loves. Auntie, God doesn't love you, auntie. Can you see principles of Bible interpretation? Four o'clock in the morning, they wake me up while I was praying. So there are principles. The reformers, they said that the Bible has its own system of interpretation, implicit or explicit. When we come to the scriptures with a preconceived idea of how to interpret scripture, that becomes a problem for us because this is controlled or based on contextual and cultural considerations. Let me ask you a simple question. I grew up with this scripture on my mind. It is more difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God than for a camel to enter. Go through the eye of the needle. Help me interpret it quickly. When I would read that Bible verse all my life, younger days, I would, you know, I used to thread needles for my mother. <laughs> and you know how difficult it is to thread that. But now the problem was the scripture said it's harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. I can't get that thread through this. Where am I going to get a camel through that? You could try his tail, but, but not the camel. I wrestled with that scripture even before I was saved because as a Sunday school kid I memorized scripture and reading it how, how can a rich man go to heaven then until one day I found out that the city of Jerusalem had many many gates and there was one gate on the city of Jerusalem a small one it was not a main gate and for to go through that gate, a camel had to take off all its load, had to bend down and go through it, humble itself to go through that gate. It had to leave everything that was on top of it. And the name of that gate was called the eye of a needle. Now interpret the scripture. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle because a camel doesn't have a problem taking its load off even if it's full of gold. You think camel will get upset if you take a bag load of gold off its back? It'll keep chewing. It won't care. But a rich man, you take a bag load of gold off him, he will fight you. This is what the Bible is saying. It's easier for a camel to throw its load off, humble down, get through this than a rich man to take all that he possesses. He can't let go to obey God. That is why he will struggle to enter the kingdom of heaven. So there are, there are cultural, historical, grammatical considerations that you have to make when you want to interpret God's word. You can't just interpret God's word as you feel like. So there were four main types of Hebrew or Jewish interpretation. Four main types of Hebrew or Jewish interpretation. The first one was called the Peshat. P-E-S-C-H-A-T. Peshat. It meant literal interpretation. Literal. A second, uh, you just write it down. I'll, I'll explain to you in a little more detail. Peshat. The Jews used to interpret the Bible in these four ways. Okay, the Jews. First was called Peshat. It meant they looked at their Torah and literally interpreted it. That was one way of Jewish interpretation. 
A second way of Jewish interpretation was called Midrashat, M-I-D-R-A-S-H-I-C. Rabbi Hillel gave meanings. This, what was this Midrashat interpretation? They gave meanings to the text without context and they put meanings to numbers. Number seven is perfection. Number eight is new beginnings. Number one is, no, number three is trinity. Number, so they, they gave meanings to, they used numerological interpretation. So when they saw that um, they were, um, when they saw that there were, say, 40 days to something, that gave a meaning. Or three, they saw the number three and they call it, or Trinity, or they saw the number seven. They had seven pillars and so oh, that's a perfection of pillars. So that was the Midrashak way. Then you had a third kind of Jewish interpretation called Peshar, which was, which P-E-S-H-E-R. This interpretation gave emphasis to times, dispensations, and judgments of God. Peshar. And a fourth interpretation, style of Jewish interpretation, was called allegoric interpretation. Allegoric. What is allegoric interpretation? This came from Greek thought. Allegoric interpretation was a style of interpretation where they said the original text is not what God really intends to say. Behind that text, there is a spiritual meaning. So, when somebody went from Jerusalem to Jericho, Jesus said one day a man went from Jerusalem to Jericho. What did Jesus mean? What did Jesus mean? Huh? Come on. What did Jesus mean? Huh? You guys are really quiet on me. Pastor, I'm going to shut the session down. They don't want to learn. I need students that respond. Huh? No problem if you miss it out. What is the big deal? Because all our life we have been missing out interpretation. There's nothing new. Go ahead. What did Jesus mean when he said a man went from Jerusalem to Jericho? Go away from Actually, Jesus meant a man went from Jerusalem to Jericho. <laughs> but if it's Africa and India and many of these nations where the Pentecostal movement has gone, we feel a pressure to give a spiritual meaning to Jerusalem and a spiritual meaning to Jericho. Jerusalem was the presence of God. Jericho was away from the presence of God. And therefore, when he went from the presence of God, away from the presence of God, he got beaten up and put on the road. Then why did the Pharisees, at that point where the Samaritan got beaten up, why did, no, not the Samaritan, the other guy, the man who was going, why did the Pharisees not get beaten up? Why did the Levite not get beaten up? Why did the Samaritan not get beaten up? Why only that Jew who went from Jerusalem to Jericho got beaten up? Because they did not meet him at Jerusalem, they didn't meet him at Jericho. They met him at the point he got beaten up. So if he got beaten up because he was going from Jerusalem to Jericho, away from the presence of God, Pharisee, Levite and the Samaritan should have been beaten up at that point. Do you understand? Can you see the pressure to, <laughs> to 
Jesus meant somebody went from Jerusalem, period. As simple as that. This is going to help you. I don't have, Lord, stop this watch. <laughs> no, 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 whatever. <laughs> the allegorical meaning. There's a pressure to find hidden meanings behind meanings. Does that mean the Bible in certain portions, God cannot, God has not used allegory? No, there are portions in scripture, God has used allegory. But because God used allegory in certain portions of scripture, don't use allegory in every portion of scripture. How many of you mothers or fathers or whatever, you cook at home? You cook at home? Yeah? You cook at home? Because you use chili for certain things, do you use chili for everything? Yeah? The other day I had a cup of coffee. It was called chili coffee. They had chili in the coffee. It was nice actually. <laughs> Today's time and age, you can, you can try anything out. But when we come to Jesus' use of scripture, listen to this carefully. When we come to Jesus' use of scripture, what did Jesus do? Contrary to those Jewish practices of those days, Jesus often interpreted scripture literally. So when Jesus read in the scripture, something happened like this, Moses said this. He did not mean Moses said three spiritual meanings behind that one verse. Because three in the morning while the father was speaking to him, the father spoke secretly to him, my son, my son. Even though Moses said that, the real meaning behind what Moses said, which even Moses didn't know, which today, through the Holy Ghost, God is revealing to me, is that there is a secret meaning behind it. There is a past meaning, there is a present meaning, and there is a prophetic future meaning. So our temptation is to find a past meaning, present meaning, and prophetic future meaning in every scripture. I've been there, I've done that. Does that comfort you? I'm a man of the spirit. I understand the things of the spirit. I do understand the Holy Ghost can speak to us. But I also do understand that we can lie about the Holy Ghost speaking to us when we are cooking up our own cock and bull stories because we grew up under a particular style of Bible interpretation. You grew up in churches. Why did I interpret it like that? Because my pastors did it like that. Why did my pastors do it like that? Because their pastors did it like that. Do you know the story of the bishop's nose? You know what's the bishop's nose? You know the chicken's bottom, that last part? It's called the bishop's nose. So one day, one day someone asked their mother, Mama, why do you cut that last bit off and put it on top of the chicken? So the mother thought for some time, she says, I don't know, my mother always did that. So she said, let's ask your mother. So she asked her mother, Mama, Grandma, why, did you, why do you cut the chicken's bottom and put it on top of the chicken when you want to bake a chicken? She says, actually, I don't know. My mother did that. So they thought, let's ask great-grandma. So I said, great-grandma, why did you cut the bottom of the chicken and put it on top of the chicken? Oh, my oven was so small, my chicken wouldn't fit in all the time. So I cut the bottom and I put it on top. So because she, now that the mother, grandmother and great grandma, they have bigger ovens, better ovens, all of that, but they still cut the bottom <laughs> and they put it on top of the chicken until Jesus returns. 
Why? Because that's how it was done. That's how it was said. When you look, Jesus looked at it literally. He accepted historical accounts the way they were presented, did not give hidden meanings to them. Jesus' own teaching had authority and it was not like the unclear teaching of others. He took historical narratives as facts. His application was almost always normal and not allegorical. He denounced Jewish leaders for their elaborate methods of interpreting scripture. Mark 7, 16 to 13, Matthew 15, 1 to 9. You see that he, he you know, this, he said, the Bible says, honor your father and mother, but you say, Whatever is done for my parents is kurban. You see, he said you have gone beyond what God intended. And now you brought your own Jewish interpretations to some of these things. What did the apostles do? We see that the apostles, they related scripture as the inspired word of God. At least 50 times, God is referred to as the author of scripture. They accepted the historical accuracy of the scripture. Acts 7, 9 to 50, Acts 13, 16 to 22, Hebrews 11. So many places, Hebrews 11, you see that they accepted the historical accuracy of scripture. In the succeeding centuries, the allegorical school began to gain popularity. What is allegorical school of Bible interpretation? Finding a meaning behind the meaning. This was basically introduced or influenced by Greek literature in Christian thinking and Jewish thinking. Where the allegorical meaning was used to explain the gross inhuman behavior of the characters in Greek literature. As most of the schools of education were Greek in those early days, the allegorical method of thinking came into methods of Bible interpretation and begin to influence how to understand scripture. So the early church used allegorical method of interpretation extensively in their understanding of the Old Testament. The motive behind their method was to properly understand the Old Testament. Even today, most people tend to move into allegorical methods when they come to the Old Testament. So during the Christian era in the early days, there were three primary schools of Christian learning. The first school of Christian learning was called the Alexandrian school. Alexandria is in Africa, is in Egypt. It's one of the prominent cities of Egypt. So the gospel came across the shores and it came to Alexandria. Alexandria became a center of great Christian learning in those early days. They had great theological Bible schools there. Until you know, Islam came and by force took over those regions until then Christianity was very prominent in Africa and the gospel spread from there and went to different places. Here in Alexandria, one of the greatest centers of learning of antiquity, Greek and Jewish philosophies also flourished and subsequently Christian philosophy. Platonic and Neoplatonic schools influenced the catechetical schools. They would look at the literal meaning but the allegorical meaning was considered the real meaning. They said, yes, somebody went from Jerusalem to Jericho. But it was actually meaning someone went from the presence of God to away from the presence of God. Are you with me so far? So as years went on, 
Clement of Alexandria said that the scriptures hid their true meaning so that we may be truly inquisitive to find out what is the real meaning. He spoke of scriptures as having five senses, historical, doctrinal, prophetic, philosophical and mystical. So you read one scripture, you will find these, find these five different meanings behind it. You read and one went from Jerusalem to Jericho, you will find historical, which meant he went from Jerusalem to Jericho. Then you have doctrinal, which means he went from the presence of God into, uh, you know, uh, away from the presence of God. Then you'll have prophetic, he moved from his destiny into the, into the backslid away from the prophetic destiny that God had for him. Hallelujah, fire! And then you moved from, he moved from, they looked at philosophical. He moved from the uh, intentions of God into the intentions, uh, uh, the, not of God. They moved from, to mystical. He moved from the presence of the spirit. Away from the spirit. So it, there had to be five different meanings of the word, the line Jesus said, he moved from. Based on who is interpreting it. Are you with me so far? You still like me? You upset with me? I want you to know I'm a dumb talking, spirit filled, demon bashing, you know, gift operating, Bible believing, preacher, Pentecostal, pastor. And I'm telling you, Behind every scripture, there is no historical, philosophical, prophetic, doctrinal, and mystical interpretation. Are you okay so far? The second school of interpretation was called Antioch School of Interpretation. Where is Antioch? Antioch is in Syria. No, it is not in Lebanon, it is not in Jordan, and it's not in Turkey. Antioch is in Syria. The Antioch was another big Christian base. Apostle Paul was one of the pioneer apostles of the Antioch ministry. Theodore of uh, Mopsitia and John Chrysostom were the leading lights of the school of interpretation who developed a true scientific exegesis in determining the original sense of scripture. They used what we call a grammatical historical method of interpreting scripture. What did they do? They asked simple questions. What is the what does the scripture mean in the light of history? And what is it, the grammatical meaning? What does the grammar mean? Right. It didn't start with what did the popular preacher say? They didn't start with, listen, you know why hypergrace is so famous now? Because people start with what am I feeling in my heart? I'm feeling guilt. Are you with me? I'm feeling guilt. I also tried to obey God and I heard the preacher say, if you don't live holy, you're going to hell. But I didn't want to go to hell. And I really loved Jesus, but they said, you don't love Jesus. And I really wanted to walk with God, but they said, you don't walk with God. So what am I feeling now? Guilt. And now one man of God came and said, I want you to know the grace of God is not by your works. Hallelujah. It is only by your faith, your confession, your confession, your confession. Now what does it do to me? It makes me feel true to the fact that I'm genuinely wanting to walk with God. And now it tells me that it is by faith and not by works that none should boast. So wow, so I'm feeling happy now. 
So I begin to thank God for that man of God who made me come out of my guilt. And if you look at hypergrace preachers, there seems to be a common background behind all of them. Most of them or many of them struggled with, with legalistic preaching in their life when they grew up. That they got bombarded with legalistic preaching that now they felt guilty and guilty and guilty. And now suddenly they had this revelation. It was by faith and not by works. And once saved, you're always saved. Hallelujah. Jesus, you know what I'm going through. Jesus loves me. Can you see how we mix feeling with principles of Bible interpretation? So we become faithful to the fact that somebody's teaching finally made me feel that God understands what I am going through. And so it just becomes easier to accept what they said without asking the question, what about all the other scriptures that are there in the Bible? Does his teaching be, remain faithful to all the other scriptures? Are you with me so far? Are you with me so far? So we follow feeling. They begin to go after grammatical historical methods, and it's a long story. Uh, I don't have time to take you through all of that. But there's a third school of Bible interpretation. This is called the Western School of Bible Interpretation. What was the Western School of Bible Interpretation? This group emphasized the authority of the tradition of the church. Because the Orthodox Church and the Roman Catholic Church, and they all grew and became thousands of people and spread across the nations. The Spanish, they took the Inquisition to South America and South America became Catholic and they took the Inquisition into different parts of Europe and they became, at that time, the Turk, the, uh, the Turkish Empire began to attack and bring Islam all the way to the shores of S Spain and France. When they came there, by the time many, many had turned to Islam and from fr Spain and France, they began to fight back and push Islam back all the way back into Turkey. So there were many wars and wars carried religion and and controlled people and power and all of that whichever ruling army was the leading army their religion became the religion of the local area so when catholic church spread like that all around very strong and powerful they insisted that the official interpretation of the catholic church had to be the interpretation that all the Catholics everywhere had to accept. And if you were a Catholic nation, you'd have to. Now, if you were a Pentecostal nation, the Pentecostal church would do the same thing. Do you understand what I'm saying? Just depends on who's the boss. So, there were principles that in different times, Reformation came and you know, the, the church went into the dark ages. Now, as different interpretations came, a time came where the apostles or church leaders got together and they said, there are so many interpretations, there are so many things. And, and you know, at that time, they didn't have one Bible, right? They didn't have the canon of scripture. They had manuscripts. And do you know of the New Testament alone, in whole or in part, there are over 24,000 manuscripts. You know what is a manuscript? Scripted, copied scripts from the older ones. And they, the oldest New Testament manuscripts they had, I'm sorry, I don't know if they have newer ones now, 
but at that time was around you know up to 200 uh, second century 200 years approximately after Christ and uh, so they were copied manuscripted copied manuscripted and they compared those manuscripts and they found out the New Testament authenticity was faithful to over 24,000 manuscripts of the New Testament so they said hey wait a minute which means if all these copies agree with each other that means that this was faithful to the the oldest ones they had so there are things called manuscript evidence there are things called documentary hypothesis higher you know, all kinds of things are there you know right to get into to understand how we study theology how we study these different scriptures then it was much later that and until around uh, in the dark ages the only the priests were officially allowed to read the bible and interpret it so the common man was not allowed to read it. and they read it in hebrew they read it in greek they read it in aramaic whatever language is written in and so the common man was never allowed to read the bible why because the priests studied it in the hebrew and in the greek and they interpreted it not only did they interpret it even if they saw an interpretation they stuck to the official interpretation of that church amen so that became the practice then luther came when luther came when he read the bible he saw that the official interpretation of the church was not what the bible was saying he read and said the just shall live by faith it is by faith you're born again and so he came out with a a, a whole set of theses points of this faith and he nailed it to the church door and the official Catholic Church went all out against him and they drove these people out and uh, you know Luther really didn't want to leave the Catholic Church but he because there was no other option he stood for what he believed he was called a heretic and he and his people were driven out of the Catholic Church and they formed what is called the Lutheran Church when the Lutheran Church started, this is church history see if even to understand Bible interpretation you got to understand history what happened how it happened when it happened because there's going to be nothing new under the sun what happened in those years is happening just now so when luther came just to live by faith after some time the baptist and the anabaptist they came and they said we got to be water baptized and luther said martin luther he had an understanding that you got to be just to live by faith but he had no understanding of water baptism and so he said if anybody goes into the waters of baptism from adult baptism see to it that they remain under the water and they don't come out and the ones that were persecuted by the catholic church now started persecuting anybody that differed from the official position of the lutheran church do you understand what i'm saying this is why even today hyper grace preachers they say all the others are legalists and nobody's listening to them but you go to a hypergrace church and you take another position they will persecute you have you seen the trolling on the internet when you get discussions with hypergrace can you see the viciousness with which which many people attack all kinds of people now i'm not attributing it to only hypergrace it's human nature to be vicious against anybody that disagrees with you because you preached one thing like this one day and now somebody else is coming and saying something else so luther came out with some principles i don't have time to get into those principles calvin was a great exegist of his reformation period calvin came up with some principles 
of Bible interpretation. They're all great minds. They may not have got all the scriptures right as we have today and we may not have got it all right as another generation may come out with something better. It's getting better and better and better. Calvin was a great Bible interpreter, but he did not come out at that point. I mean, but he, everything he said and did was not absolutely correct. So the age of the enlightenment in Europe saw reason being enthroned as God. This had a profound effect on theology. The empirical system, considerations, reasoning, they read and Jesus turned water into wine or Jesus multiplied the bread and the fish. Recently one of my friends, um, I was told that he, uh, you know, he's a man of God, he's a wonderful man of God. And he was, uh, just for sake of honoring that institute, I'm not using the name, but a premium medical institute. Uh, where they have, you know, chaplains and things like that. So this man of God, he went and sat in the chapel. And he's hearing one of the chaplains talking about Jesus multiplying bread and fish. And he's saying, see, he's, he's saying, see, actually... It's not that Jesus multiplied it. Jesus asked, what do we have? And the little boy said, I have five loaves and two fishes. So he brought out what he had. When he brought out what he had, all the people there, they also brought out what they had. And when everybody brought out what everybody had, there were 12 baskets left. Except that I'm wondering why everybody brought bread and fish. <laughs> and I wonder why the chaplain did not read the portion of scripture where the Bible says, the people, Jesus was moved with compassion, and that people had nothing to eat. But the official position of the chaplain is the western method of Bible interpretation. If it cannot be explained re through reason, you cannot accept that God did it. So miracles go out of the window. So now when such an exegesis, such a Bible interpreter reads John's Gospel 2 and Jesus turned water into wine, it cannot understand and reason. So he'll say it's actually not the fact that he turned water into wine. But when he asked them to bring those jars that could be filled with that water actually those jars for a long time were used to make wine and so some of them that were bought may have had some wine in them and so when you poured water in that you know they may have been so fermented that the water in it diluted it and brought it to the correct taste can you see why uh, Western interpretation, he will think like that. Amen. An African Bible interpreter. <laughs> Hallelujah. It will be allegorical. My, my father, my father. <laughs> it will be allegorical. Oh, the, the, it will be, no, it will be allegorical behind that miracle of turning water into wine. The water is, this, is symbolic of the Holy Ghost. And wine, Jesus, is symbolic of the power. He will take your powerless situation, amen, somebody, and make it powerful. 
that the glory of the latter house will be greater than the farmer. My Bible says, wine ran out, Jesus made water into wine, gave it to them and said, you drink. That's all the Bible says. Hallelujah. <laughs> now, listen, I do not have a problem with the glory of the latter house being greater than the former. I believe it. Why? Because another portion of scripture, the Holy Ghost intended it by saying the glory of the latter house shall be greater than the former. But don't drag it into Jesus' water and wine. Use that portion of scripture where it says glory the latter, glory will be greater than the former. Preach from that. I'm not against God's glory. I'm not against the river flowing. I'm not against the anointing filling the land. I'm simply saying let wine be wine and let water be water. That's all I'm saying. Can you see? So the allegoricals will have a problem with the western. The western will have a problem with Oh my goodness, the kind of confusion that comes from this whole group of people. So are we saying that when the anointing came powerfully upon Jesus, Jesus went on fire. Oh, it's about the disciples right now. Did Jesus do that? Or was, not, was Jesus not as anointed as those pastors? I have no problem with you jumping, screaming and calling down fire. I do it myself. I got a problem with saying every time we jump, it's the Holy Ghost. I've been around far too long in Christian ministry. To be fooled. To fool myself and say everything we think and say are from the Holy Ghost. I don't think it is. So when we see that there are these different principles, we have to look at scripture. What are some things that came during the Reformation? During the Reformation, some, some things they started saying, they said, there has to be a psychological principle. What is that? That faith and illumination of the Holy Spirit is absolutely necessary to interpret the word of God. You can't have unbelievers teaching you in a Bible school that are interpreting God's word for you. They don't know their right hand from their left. There is an authoritative principle where the Bible is above the finality of our ecclesiastical truth. The Bible has greater authority than what our senior most pastors and leaders and synods said. There's a sufficiency principle that devout and competent believer can understand the true meaning of scripture. There is a Christological principle where literal interpretation 
is not the end all biblical interpretation to find Christ in all of scripture that God could still reveal there is a law in gospel so through the ages it began to crystallize and get better and get better there's a law in gospel principle that law and grace are apparently contradictory but actually complementary law and grace are apparently contradictory but actually complementary there was a balance so calvin was a great exegist of that reformation and he studied the scriptures like this and he said there has to be born again people holiness begin to rise in the church the quakers came and they begin to talk about holiness in a more powerful way than the salvation army guys came and they said you know no the baptism just going into water and coming out it's a tradition so we won't have that we will stand under a flag and take a decision every one of us that are you know god's army we take a decision so they said see baptism is symbolic stand under the flag that's also symbolic so why did they do that because they got tired of the tradition of baptism and they said see the idea of baptism is to public declaration of your inner conversion we are going to stand under the salvation army flag because we're all in the army and you'll wear uniforms because the rest of your life this uniform will remind you that you're a preacher of the gospel till you die what a man of god william booth was but he just decided since that was symbolic let's just do it so different times eras things have changed so if we are to look at some principles of bible interpretation from God's word are there some principles and I want to I want us to look at that are there some principles and let me start with principle number one write down these principles this is not going to make you foolproof Bible interpreters but this is going to help you get some principles because till today after all these different theological interpretations because there are allegorical and 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 western and or you know grammatical historical and different methods of interpretation till today there is no agreement between all the men of god on this is how it's going to happen all right the first principle of bible interpretation is this take the plain meaning of the text literally grammatically and historically take principle number 1 take the plain meaning of the text Jesus and the, a man went from Jerusalem to Jericho plain meaning of the text now I want to ask you a question look at me look at me for a minute look at me for a minute where was Jesus born Bethlehem where in Bethlehem sorry in a manger can you give me a reference for that please is they don't look it's not there don't worry don't even bother it's not mentioned in the Bible Jesus was born in a manger how many of you have read in the Bible Jesus was born in a manger show me hands have the courage in Bible study you must have the courage to disagree also how many of you have read in the Bible Jesus born in a manger how many of you are afraid to raise your hands <laughs> there is sorry movies actually huh? song all right Jesus was not born in a manger and there is no Bible no, don't even look it's not there yeah serious 100% yeah yeah go ahead please read it you're getting into a trap read loud
There we go. Listen to this. What does it say? Was it, does it say Jesus was born in a manger? It simply says that when you go there, you will find a child wrapped in swaddly clothes lying in a manger. That's all. That's all it says. Literal, grammatical, historical interpretation. And the white cloth around him was not the Holy Ghost, symbolic of the Holy Ghost. <laughs> okay, you know what the Bible says? Many Bible scholars believe. It simply says like this. This is what the Bible says. And when they came to Bethlehem, the time of the child came upon her. And she brought forth the child. And because there was no room in the inn, they wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Laid him in a manger means, I'm sure some of you all have given birth to a baby. You know what is a manger? Manger is a trough in which water and food is given for the animals to drink and eat from. How many of you will feel extremely comfortable to deliver a baby in a manger? You think Mary was crazy? <laughs> Hereafter, our Christian hospitals should have mangers. Because Jesus was born in a manger. He wasn't born in a manger. You know where Jesus was born? It'll shock you. Jesus was born in the streets of Bethlehem. You know why they look for an inn? So I'll show you Bible interpretation. This is how you must study and ask questions. Why do they look for an inn? Help me, come on, because? A room for privacy, correct? But the problem is, why did they go to Bethlehem? For a census, correct? Where do you go for census normally? To another country, another town or to your hometown? To your hometown. When you go to your hometown, think practically. Chacha, mama, uncle, auntie. Will they be there? They'll be there. Why didn't they go to Chacha's house? Who said Herod will kill? All that came after. Sorry? Do you know how much later Herod's killing came? Sorry? Okay. There we go. Look at that. See, this is how you must put scripture together. When Mary left Bethlehem, how many of you mothers will send your nine-month pregnant daughter alone with her boyfriend on a donkey to Bethlehem? How many of you mothers would do that? Think sensibly. Huh? On a donkey. Reference? Come on, reference. Spirit filled, tongue talking, demon bashing, Bible believing, Christians. How did Mary go on a donkey? Give me a reference. Can you see how poor interpreters of scripture we are? Why do we believe she went on a donkey? Simple. Use grammatical, historical application to why you believe what you believe. Because our Christmas card sat her on a donkey.
and took her to Bethlehem on a donkey. So since childhood, since the Christmas card sat her on a donkey, so we also sat her on a donkey. When you went to Sunday school, they taught you that they sat on a donkey. And the pictures were there. <laughs> because they went to Sunday school. <laughs> Let's ask grandma, why, why did... <laughs> Can you see, Mary went on a donkey. No, she went walking to Bethlehem. Why did she go walking to Bethlehem looking for an inn? You know, by the time she walked from Jerusalem to, I mean, Nazareth to Bethlehem, she popped, the baby came. You walk that much distance, nine months pregnant, you, the baby will come. The water will break, baby will come. I'm a doctor, I understand this. I've, con I've delivered a lot of babies. <laughs> that one you agree, all right. <laughs> You're using grammatical, historical. <laughs> Yeah. Oh. Now that, I, that would be the natural way. The natural way. I'm simply saying that it does not say it was a donkey. If it was not a donkey, then the most normal, natural possibilities has to be, because if it's not a donkey, it'll have to be a bullock cart. If it's not a bullock cart, then it can't be a Lamborghini or a Rolls Royce. It has to be bullock cart, horse or uh, whatever but now this is where I'm going to come to if they brought a donkey do you think the donkey would have been with them if they brought that donkey with them do you think the donkey would have been with them yes and if the donkey was them they had to feed the donkey my Bible tells me that they were extremely poor how do I know my Bible tells me that Joseph and Mary were extremely poor somebody help me you know do you know that Joseph and Mary were probably kicked out of their house? How do I know they are kicked out of the house? Mother's not gone with them. Not just that, Joseph went for census, correct? Census, right? Family by family, tribe by tribe to the city of David. Why his father and mother were not part of the family? They didn't have census. Come on. Why did Joseph and Mary go alone? Why, why didn't they go with daddy and mommy? And why didn't they go to uncle auntie's house? Because Mary was of a baby before her marriage. She was betrothed to Joseph. It was a shame. She was supposed to be stoned to death according to the scriptures. And because the angel told him to take that woman and go away, he stood up against his father and he probably took Mary obeying the angel of the Lord to honor God he disobeyed his parents probably would have left his hometown in Nazareth would have come alone to, to Bethlehem for the census when he came there out of shame of immorality and humiliation that the family accused him he could not probably go to his native family homes and therefore he looked for a place in the inn and because it was a census there was no place in the inn and therefore the baby came they wrapped him in swaddling clothes and they laid him in a manger Simple principles of Bible interpretation. How many wise men were there? Ah, now you're getting smart. Some of you were coming like... Because <laughs> pastor told us in church that there were three wise men. There are nowhere three wise. Okay, 
Where do the shepherds see Jesus? Quickly, I'm running out of time. 11 principles to quickly tell you. Where do the shepherds meet Jesus? In a manger. <laughs> You're right. They met him. The shepherds that night, the angels told them that today is born in the city of David, a child who's a king, and they have laid him in a manger. He's wrapped in swaddling clothes. He's laid in a manger. And so they quickly went to find the baby in the manger and they worshipped him, right? So where did the wise men come and see Jesus? Outside the manger. House. How do we know? Matthew's Gospel chapter 2 verse 10. Matthew 2 10. Do you know that Jesus was two years old by the time the wise men came to see Jesus? No, it wasn't. Sunday school teacher taught us wrong. Jesus was two years old by the time the wise men came. Why? What does the Bible say? The Bible says, when the child was born, a star appeared in the east. And some wise men from the east, they followed the star. And they came to Jerusalem and, and, to, and they asked Herod, where is this child? And Herod told his, his people, find out from the scripture where this king is born so that we may go and worship him. And an angel tells the wise men, don't go that route because he wants to kill him. So these wise men go to Bethlehem because the, the Bible says that in Bethlehem the child was going to be born. They go there. Uh, and they worship the child where the Bible says the star came and stopped on top of the house of which the child Jesus was how do I know he was a child and not an infant he was a child because Herod ascertained from the wise men the time in which the star appeared and they calculated from there by when how old Jesus would be and they found out it was two years from the time the star appeared to the time the star came over here and that is why Herod said kill every male child up to the age of two destroy all of those male children the wise men found him in a rented house probably probably how do I know they were so poor Jesus was presented in the temple what did she offer so what does that tell you that's right according to the scriptures if a male child was born they were supposed to offer a blemishless lamb as an offering for the birth of that child but if they were so poor that they could not afford a lamb they could offer two turtle doves and my, that is in Leviticus and my Bible tells me and Joseph and Mary offered two turtle doves at the birth of Jesus this is why Jesus said foxes have holes and birds have nests but the son of man does not have any place to lay his head he was so poor when you come to Bible interpretation go back to grammatical historical interpretation of God's word 
Go right back and read it. Look at the passage. Ask the question, who said it to whom? Ask why it was said and explain it just like it is. Without trying to look for treasure hunt. Inside the scripture. Now there are scriptures that, that, that do not have plain meaning. There are forms in scripture which we have to understand differently like parables. When there is a parable, the Bible says, and Jesus spoke to them in a parable saying. And other times when it's not a parable, he just left it there. So don't make parables what are not parables and don't unparable the ones that are parables. But most of the scripture is descriptive and therefore one of the basic dictums of hermeneutics which is Bible interpretation is to take the plain meaning of the text. Avoid giving strange meanings as you go deeper into the passage you might realize that some things are not apparent at first glance and that there is a deeper meaning but at first glance always it's good to take the plain meaning otherwise you will always be hunting around for hidden meanings. So in the scripture there also exists parallelisms which means a word emphasized by repeating again and again and again in the form of poetry. When we look at parables we understand that usually each parable has a basic one simple teaching in that. So when you look at the simple text, first principle uses look at content, text. Everybody say text. Say text. Say text. So when you study when you study that scripture, then you must study what literally, what did it mean? Principle number two. Principle number two is understand what it meant to the original writer. Ask the question, what did the author intend? Not what I think the Holy Ghost intended even though the author didn't intend it. The second question you must simply ask is what did the author intend? Now, why do we look for so much you know, I told, talked about our Pentecostal style of preaching and shouting and screaming and all that, no? There's nothing wrong with it. You can scream your lungs out, no problem. But why do we preach like that? Can you, do, you know, do you have any idea why? Because we are trying to connect it to, to Pentecost, to, to Acts chapter 2. Right? That they all spoke in tongues and everybody thought they were drunk. But the question you must answer is in Acts 2 when the Holy Ghost came on them, if everybody thought they were drunk, then the question is in Acts 9, when Paul got filled with the Holy Ghost, did everybody around him think he was drunk? In Acts 10, in Cornelius' household, when the Holy Ghost came on them, the Bible says they spoke in tongues and they prophesied. Did everybody think that they were drunk? Does the Bible say there was interpretation because in Acts 2, everybody who heard it understood it in their own languages? In Cornelius' household, did everyone understand in their own languages? In 1 Corinthians 14, when they speak in tongues in the church, the Bible says if there's no interpretation, let there be silent. Why don't everybody understand in their own language? Now that's a whole different topic. I will explain that some other time. But I want you to know in Acts 19, when the Holy Ghost fell on John's disciples, did the other listeners hear them speak in their own tongues? Where was the fire of God? Did the neighbors think they were all drunk? Come on. Grammatical, historic. We got to be faithful to scripture. Because you saw it in one place, don't drag it everywhere. In Acts 2, everyone thought they were drunk. In Acts 8, Acts 10, Acts 9, Acts 10, Acts 19, nobody thought they were drunk. It simply says they spoke in tongues. 
and they prophesied. That's all it says. And people may not have understood. There are a lot of details into it. I don't have time to get into all the details to explain to you those details. But understand what did the original writer. Now, imagine you, you, have, you have children, ma'am? You have children. Imagine you're on this boat, you got lost in sea. And you're stranded on an island. And you're writing one last letter to your children. So you wrote a long letter from the paper on the boat and a bottle on the boat. And you threw it into the ocean, hoping someday the waves will carry it. And someday your son will find it. Now, 1,000 years later, you sent it from Africa, but 1,000 years later, somebody found it in Japan. The ocean waves took it all the way from Africa through the Indian Ocean all the way to Japan. Now, the Japanese man is opening the bottle after 1,000 years and is going to read your letter. And your letter said, my dear children, you are the most precious things in the whole world. Hmm? Imagine your children's name were metal and kettle. So you wrote, my dear metal and kettle. You are the most precious things to me in the whole world. And, and, then, and then you're reading on. Mama got lost in the oceans and I don't know if I will see you again. But I just hope that you take care of metal and kettle. Alright, you write on and all of that. After 1000 years, a Japanese man finds a letter and he's reading, my dear metal and kettle. And now he does historical grammatical interpretation. He's looking for the meanings of metal and kettle. And he found out there's a language in England called English. And that English language metal means metal and kettle means kettle. So, so he is now interpreting your letter. My dear metal and kettle. So he's imagining here is somebody writing to a piece of metal. And to an instrument called kettle. Maybe he wanted to make a chai. A cup of coffee in that kettle and for flavor he wanted to put some metal <laughs> and three o'clock in the morning he found out that there was an English word called metal and kettle can you see how they can interpret it and how your letter can go after 1000 years the language you use can change for example 50 years ago, if you used the word English language and said, I'm feeling very gay today. What does that mean? I'm feeling happy. Today, if you write, I'm feeling very gay today. What does the listener understand? At three o'clock in the morning when the Holy Ghost comes upon them. Oh, I'm feeling gay today. Come on, help me. Inter Do you understand the problem in Bible interpretation? Go back. Before you get filled with the Holy Ghost at 3 a.m. 
previous night read up what the greek word is read up what the hebrew word is ask the simple question what did the author try to say so a man a certain man went from jerusalem to jericho so what is the question you got to ask what is the author trying to say so what is he trying to say a man went from jerusalem to jericho are you getting this amen so the first principle was you that you have to take the literal meaning second principle is understand what it meant to the author what did the author writer and the original listeners or the original recipients of it if he wrote it to the corinthian church that a woman's head must be covered you have to ask the question what did it mean to the women of corinth to have an uncovered head now don't say thus saith the lord the bible says woman's head must be covered you must ask the question what is the grammatical what is the historical explanation of covering the head and you find out you know what the bible says do you know that the bible says that the covering your head is a tradition and not a commandment you check up the greek word it says hold on to the good traditions that are handed down to you king james calls it good ordinances but many of our local languages have translated it as hold on to the good commandments that have been handed down to you but when you read in the greek it says hold on to the good traditions there are some good traditions and bad traditions what was the good tradition the covering of the head was a sign in those days that a woman was under a man's covering help me should a woman cover their head or not what does the bible say now forget your what you're doing here what does the bible say women must cover their head or what yes yes there was why why should they cover their head why you see i'm going to show you how bible interpretation is a problem why should a woman cover their head sorry that the show the authority of the husband that she's under husband now i want to ask you a question for all your life when you covered your head and went into a church why did you cover your head before your marriage you covered your head yes who was your husband then because covering the head is a sign of what jesus your husband before you accepted christ and you were in church smoking in the back swearing cussing like a devil <laughs> hanging out with your friends and jesus was your husband <laughs> you know why we cover our head you know why women cover their head broadly come on grammatical or historical come on help me tradition what tradition do, what are you trying to show what are you trying to show by covering your head come on mothers uh, that have covered your head or, or sisters that cover your head a lot of your life what are you trying to show yeah nobody outside nobody attempted by them okay that's fine but i'm asking why did you cover your head when you were young when you went to church huh they saw their mother and you know you know when i was growing up the women 
as they enter the threshold of the church that's the time you pull the sari up so outside the threshold it's there and then there are different styles of covering there is the the full head covering where it comes till here then you have the hairpin covering exactly till here which means you're half under your husband <laughs> then you have the stylish bun only covering the bun only covering if you are from <laughs> if you don't want your hair to be get bun only covering then you have the full scarf covering <coughs> So my question is, my question is, see, I don't have a problem with you covering. But if you say the Bible says you must cover, my question is, what does the Bible say you must cover for? The Bible says you must cover as a sign that you're under the authority of your husband. So all you women that are putting that cloth on your head, you think I'm such a submissive woman. That morning you must have called your husband names and come to church. Nipora. <laughs> and you came to church and you put in threshold. <laughs> Even the caps, we have different kinds of caps. And then you have that band. Bandana is the is the scarf you tie from here. <laughs> so all kinds. You know why? You know what? What do women think when you cover the head? Women usually cover the head in our part of the world to show God that they respect Him. It has nothing to do with the Bible. grammatical historical now pastor so you're saying don't cover no I am saying you cover or don't cover or you stand upside down on your head and what and you fall prostrate say Jesus I'm under my husband I don't know why but <laughs> but by faith by positionally I'm under husband but by faith I'm under you you do what you want but please don't tell me you're covering your head as a sign of your submission to your husband. You're covering your head in church as a sign of submission to God. That's what you're doing. And it's not from the Bible. The Corinthian background was that they covered the head because women who didn't cover the head were, it was a sign to other men that they are available. Not just West Bengal, around the world women cover the head. No, please cover. Listen to me. Just don't tell me that it is because you are following 1 Corinthians chapter 11. That's all I want. You cover, you cover, put two hats, two scarves, sari, tie everything. You do what you want. Handkerchief. You know that, 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 that that's a quick one. Chunni or handkerchief. Because if you are in 90 and you don't have a sari immediately, 
Take one handkerchief, put it on your head. You put something, no problem. But don't tell me it is because of 1 Corinthians 11. If you're covering because, you're saying, I'm covering because I want to respect God. Praise God! Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm asking you to be integrate. I'm not asking you not to cover. If you want to cover, you cover. But please say, I'm covering as a sign of my respect to God. I am absolutely fine with it. But don't tell me 1 Corinthians 11. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 11, covering your head is a sign while a woman prays or prophesies. What about when she preaches? What about when she is uh, worship leading? She's not praying or prophesying. You have to be faithful to scripture. Praying or prophesying. You know, many times I get a lot of revelations in the bathroom. Many of us, while we are having shower, toilet and all, we get revelation. So while you suddenly, if you are a sister and while you are in the shower and you have a revelation, what do you take? Soap box you'll take and put it on your head. Eh? What, what? What? Why you worship Jesus without covering your head? See, what am I trying to do? I'm trying to just break the mold. Yes. Oh, because of the angel. Oh, I have no time. Don't drag me into that. Please, I have no time. Do you know it says because of the angels? Do you know? And the next verse says, however, in Christ. When a scripture says, however, after explaining that many verses, next line says, however, in Christ, there is no male, no female, no, 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 no. What does that grammatical interpretation of the scripture mean? When however comes, what does it mean? Now, don't drag me into the angels now because, you know, I'll have to take line by line by line by line. All I want you to know is simply that it is not as a sign of covering for your... It's a sign of submission to your husband. So next time, sisters, please cover your head. And when you cover your head, please do fact check. Whether you submitted to husband, obeyed your husband at the threshold. Did I submit to husband? Please fact check. If you didn't submit, submit. Please cover. You know what I tell? Listen to this. The Bible says in 11.2, it says that it is a tradition. Hold on to the good traditions. You know what I tell my wife? I tell my wife, I rather you don't cover and you submit to what I'm saying. <laughs> then you cover and you're trying to fool God. Point one. Point two, I tell my wife or and other people, whichever church you're going to, what does the pastor say? Do that. Simple. Why? Because that is the practice there. Honor their practice. What is the big deal? What's the big deal? No, no, no. I come from, you know, I come from New York. So I can't really cover my head now. No, no, you can't do that. You may have been born and brought up in New York. But when you go to another place, you are supposed to honor that you don't send a wrong message out with the way you do it out of not fear of them. You do it out of honor for them. 
Amen. So don't be afraid to cover your head. Please. And don't be afraid to worship the Lord with your head uncovered also. As long as you're submitting to your husband. And all the women said, Amen. Amen. Principle number three. Study the scripture in the context. Study the scripture in the context. Which means, ask the question. Listen, look at this. What is the text? What is the pretext? What is the post-text? What is the context? What does the text mean in the light of the whole book? Because sometimes books have specific messages. For example, if I asked you, which is the book on faith? What would be your answer? You are wrong. Mm -hmm. No. Mm -hmm. The book that faith is there in so many books. But what is the book on faith? James the gospel and I know I'm asking you also to stand with me in the gospel like that in chapter 3 I'm saying I consider all my past life nothing compared to the preaching of the gospel that I might know Christ and the fellowship of his suffering becoming like him in his death and chapter 4 it is saying I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength and after that verse 19 says and my God shall supply all my needs according now tell me contextual interpretation of Philippians chapter 4 verse 19 it means spend your life for the gospel and your God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory can you see Bible interpretation but we pulled out that morning Jesus Jesus today evening fellowship Jesus which which verse to which one which one I opened Philippians 4 19 hallelujah hallelujah my God, my God, my God. Supply. I sense a supply released to you right now. Or receive it. There is a supply anointing coming upon you right now. Can you see? Can you see what we're doing? But now I'm not against supply anointing. I'm not against prosperity. I'm not against blessing. Because other portions of scripture say that it is possible. But Philippians 4.19 is saying, You spend your life for the gospel. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. You see how book by book you can find out Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. What is Colossians about? Sorry, the in Christ revelations. Colossians is Christ in you. So many of these books have fantastic. What is First Thessalonians about? First Thessalonians is about right living. Right living, Second Thessalonians, perseverance till his return, hang in there till he comes. Timothy, First and Second Timothy, they're pastoral books. Titus, pastoral books. So every book you study it in the context, amen? In context. The fourth principle is that the Old Testament is a shadow of the new. The Old Testament is a shadow and the New Testament is the fulfillment. So you never make New Testament derivations without properly studying Old Testament shadow. It helps you understand. Amen? That's principle number four. Old Testament is a shadow of the New Testament. And therefore we've got to read it and we have to understand. There were 
there were many prophecies about jesus in the old testament that is why we know jesus in the new testament is the messiah amen, amen. so you can't just declare jesus messiah without having seen prophetic scriptures this is what the bible spoke about in through the prophet joel that in the last days i will pour out my spirit so old testament confirms don't study the bible to get principles study the bible to know jesus otherwise you will end up with good principles that are useless for your life look in the new testament for parallels of the old testament but don't bring old testament belief systems judaic practices into the new a lot of people are bringing the passover and the and the prayer shawls and and the feasts and and uh, everything other than circumcision because that's painful they bring all of the old testament principles into the the new and they say because the israelites did it it'll blow your mind it will blow your mind if you check up what the bible says about the israelites do you know do you know today we are supposed to pray for israel yes you know what the bible calls israelites today this will blow your mind it will absolutely you ready for this are you sure are you sure bible teachers can i see bible teachers here wait wait bible teachers wait with me hold your hands up i'm just going to tell you what the bible calls israelites you know what it calls israelites bible today calls israelites the children of hagar the children of hagar is what the bible calls israel today is it there in the bible where is it galatians chapter 4 it's there in Galatians chapter 4 I have no time to take it but look at that the Bible I'll just tell you in a brief it says the Bible there used an allegory of Hagar and Sarah and it says Hagar is the old covenant and Sarah is the new covenant because the Hagar covenant was for the flesh covenant and the Sarah covenant was the spirit from promise Isaac was born of the promise Hagar was born of the flesh the Hagar covenant is compared to the covenant of Sinai Arabia which is the covenant of Sinai Arabia the mosaic Jewish covenant the Ten Commandments and the Bible says they are of their mother Hagar but we are of Sarah we are born of the promise we brethren Paul is writing to the Galatians we brethren to the Gentile Galatians we brethren are the children of Sarah we are the Isaac and they are the Ishmael. Whoa! It's there in Galatians chapter 4, verse 21, somewhere there. You can go home and read it. I have no time to take it. I've got a few more principles. And I don't even want to tell you what the last line of Galatians 4 says. You can go home and find out. What does it say? We are not, we are not children of bonded, bond woman, but the children of, so, children of the free. So what does the previous line say about the children of the bond woman? What does it say? Come on, what does it say? 
cast out the bond woman and her son you know what that means please don't drag their covenant into ours we are living in a better covenant better promises a better blood the blood of abel is crying out revenge the blood of jesus is crying out forgiveness we are living we are not you know what's the difference between us and, and israel that they are the servants of god and we are the sons of the living god the bible says the least one in the kingdom is greater than john the baptist the greatest one born of the old covenant now the bible says as the sons of heaven pray for the servants that had the covenant but today are lost you pray for them that they will also come oh come on now principle number 5 the word of god never contradicts itself all of it is truth the word of god never contradicts itself all of it is truth you're in shock no problem i'm a doctor we got cpr ready don't worry <laughs> i was in shock just i was in shock when i saw it there are there are other shock scriptures in the bible it'll just blow your mind it will how many of you know that jonah look at me for a minute look at me how many of you know that jonah died in the ocean now don't give me that look Don't give me that look without knowing how to read the Bible. How many of you know Jonah died in the ocean? Rasta. You know why Jonah didn't die in the ocean for us? Because the moment they threw him out, the cartoon animation showed that oh, a whale came and swallowed him. But do you know the Bible says Jonah died? Is there in your Bible? It's there in Jonah 2. but sunday school didn't teach us that don't worry it will blow your mind if you read it carefully i'm really running out of time i don't want to get into jonah i shouldn't have even said it <laughs> but the fact is jonah died how do i know jonah died i have no time listen but you go back and read it this is what it says there are three prayers in jonah chapter 2 just for speed go with me how many prayers three prayers and the prayers are not in order in Jonah chapter 2 the first prayer in Jonah chapter 2 is Jonah is praying for the belly of the fish that is why after Jonah won the last part the next thing you read Jonah is praying for the belly of the fish naturally you connected that straight from the boat he went to the belly of the fish but if you read Jonah 2 from the belly of the fish Jonah is getting a flashback like a movie dun, 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 dun. and he's going to flashback from the belly of the fish It says he cried out to the Lord for the belly of the fish that is prayer number 3 prayer number and and there's no time for all of this he says look at this he says it was look at verse 2 quickly i'll just show you that in verse 2 Jonah 2 verse 2 and, and get me verse after verse all right as i go quickly all right it says and i called out to the distress and he answered me i cried for help from the depths of sheol what is sheol what is sheol the grave or the place of death you heard my voice which means there was a cry from the depths of sheol that is a second prayer he made go at next verse you had cast me into the deep into the hearts of the sea and the current engulfed me and all your breakers and billows passed over me which means he's going down into the ocean he the depths of the sea means he's going deeper deeper literal meaning what is it 
deeper deeper there is no poetic meaning in jonah 2 someone asked me the other day jonah 2 has to be a poetic meaning because it says breakers and billows breakers and billows and david in the book of psalm said all your breakers and billows were over me but the fact was in psalm david did not fall in an ocean and in jonah 2 jonah fell in an ocean that's the difference so verse four says so i said i have been expelled from your sight nevertheless i will look again towards your holy temple next verse it says water encompassed me to the point of what does that mean which means he was sinking down sinking down water water brought him to the point of death weeds were wrapped around my head can you imagine this he's going on with the story this is flashback from the belly of the fish weeds wrapped around my head and water is going down and i'm going down and the earth with its bars were around me where were the both earth with its bars around him forever in the belly of the fish no he was going down he went down went down went down it says but you have brought up my life from the pit you brought my life up from the pit next verse then it says while i was fainting away now this is prayer number 3 prayer 1 was from the belly of the fish prayer 2 was from the depths of sheol he cried out prayer 3 while i was fainting away see how deep would that ocean have been even if it's 1 km how long does it take to run 1 km to run 5 minutes 5 minutes 10 minutes 5 or 10 minutes to run 1 km when you're sinking in the ocean are you swimming straight down no you're trying to go up right so by the time he sunk down 1 km how long would it have taken come on 15 20 minutes 1 kilo even if even if it's 1 km but the bible says to the roots of the mountains i went which means he didn't go down 1 km he went down all the way to the bottom of the oceanic mountains it's all there in the bible to the root of the mountains he went and there reeps weeps were uh, weeds were wrapped around him and he goes down i descended to the roots of the mountains that means he is not staying afloat he went straight down and not just little down he went down how down down how long would it take to go down because the bible says he went till the root of the mountain and then it says the earth covered him how long would it have taken to go down at least 20 minutes and he has to swim back up how much more 40 minutes how long can the human brain survive without oxygen approximately 4 minutes world record is 13 minutes so jonah went down 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 went down weeds wrapped him he went down weeds wrapped him went down and then he went to the root of the earth while he was fainting he cried out to the lord please help me then he the bible says the earth with its bars were around me forever you know what the hebrew word is the earth with its bars were around me for eternity for i was removed from your sight forever jonah died and then the bible says from the grave i cried out to the lord and god the bible says and the lord appointed a fish now this is why jesus said no the sign will be given to this generation other than the sign of jonah like 3 days and 3 nights jonah was on the belly of the fish the son of man shall be 3 days and 3 nights in the belly of the earth so all there in the bible we just read it poetically mystically sunday school teacherly philosophically prophetically 
only thing we didn't read was literally <laughs> sorry you didn't get it i run out of time so maybe we can talk about it after that so the word of god never contradicts itself all right it's principle five all of its truth is truth humility is needed to understand that the word of god will explain itself somewhere else it will not contradict there will be some reason why if this portion says like this and that portion looks like that there will have to be some other reason for example you look at the genealogy in matthew's gospel you look at the genealogy in luke's gospel they're different genealogies right you'll be amazed to find out that one genealogy was joseph's genealogy and the other genealogy was mary's genealogy then why is it that the genealogy is written like that because in those times in historical grammatical method interpretation the male names were the ones that were used to represent the family unless they specifically wanted you to introduce a woman in that genealogy they never used the women's name that's why they used the main male names scripture will principle number six scripture interprets scripture if you don't find a meaning in one portion of scripture look for it in other portions where else does the bible talk about this what else does the bible talk about a particular topic if the bible is talking about grace look up all the scriptures on grace ask what was the old testament view of grace why do we need grace today look at a simple application of grace if grace today has freed me from the law has freed me from the law all law if grace has freed me from all law my question is what do i need grace for because there is nothing to achieve correct and if it has freed me from the law how did sin come roman says sin came because of the law and because the law death came so if grace freed me from the law it freed me from death but it also freed me from the presence of sin because if there is no law there is no sin what have i done wrong if there is no sin what do i need grace for can you see what they wrap themselves in because the law is there even today maybe not the judaic law for righteousness but the new covenant law and the moral laws are there that's why even to obey god the kingdom laws are there to obey the kingdom laws i need the grace of god jesus says be holy like i am holy that's why i need the grace of god when you pull something scripture interprets scripture by the way i put together a lot of those verses i had in my bible i put all of that together in, and god willing i can send it to you an email right and you know i found some things there when i read it again i just blew my mind oh my god my god my god my god my god go home you take those scriptures and you study it it'll blow your mind so scripture interprets scripture the only non negotiable thing of this is that we need to read the bible <laughs> not blogs not vlog not youtube not insta not twitter read the bible and be faithful to scripture to interpret scripture scripture so you understand that so look through scripture to interpret scripture principle number 7 study in view of biblical theology and 
biblical orthodoxy or the orthodox faith of the fathers study in view of biblical theology and the original faith of the fathers go back and find out what did the apostles believe what did jesus say about this look for biblical theology and then go back to early church fathers what did they write about some of these things because they lived in the time and season soon after the apostles find out what was the earliest faith what was that right what did they do that why did they do that why did they you know say that uh, uh, that particular aspect okay so study in the light of biblical theology and biblical orthodoxy what did the early church fathers have to say about it early church fathers eight principle number eight the full counsel of the word must be heeded do not cherry pick scriptures the full counsel of the word must be followed do not cherry pick scriptures when you cherry pick one line from the old testament or one line from the new testament and then you don't read the whole counsel of scripture you will find it difficult to understand why they said that at what point they said that how they said that for whom they said that was it for the jew was it for the gentile was it for the new covenant the old covenant so study scripture the full counsel everybody say full counsel of the word must be heeded stop proof texting which means reading what you like to read that little bit here how many you know when you read the bible another thing about the bible this is my practice okay this is my practice you know why i told you what the whole book says different books i told you what the whole book says because i love reading whole books because i believe that the bible was not written in chapters how many of you when your son sends you a letter you read the last paragraph first then you'll read middle paragraph then you'll read daughter's letter third paragraph then you'll read seventh child's letter second paragraph and then you'll go make rice and curry and mashed potato then you'll come back and read father's letter to you third paragraph then you will take your grandfather's blog read that and then you'll come back to son's letter first paragraph would you do that then why exactly are you doing that with the bible because these are letters read the whole book in one go try to read chapters when i was a young christian i used to take even today sometimes i take whole day off from work and i would sit in college days i would sit morning to evening just read scriptures some days i'll take off from work when i was working as a doctor take off and i'll sit at home and just read scripture why i i would read all of romans and all of corinthians and corinthians 1 and 2 where i'd read galatians philippians colossians as i'd read all of it together why because i wanted to know what did the author try to tell the the audience but you know what we do we take two verses because you have to meditate nicely you have to study so you will read only two verses and then you will meditate and meditate grace 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 not by works grace grace not by works works not by grace grace not by works meditate whole week you're on that and you did not read james chapter 2 that says faith without works is dead you have been considered that but you think grace grace 
and you misunderstand grace so you must take time you know it's like you know it's like how many of you to eat rice how many of you eat rice here rice rice here biryani you like no imagine you won't eat one plate you'll take two morsels and you eat and you say i want to digest it nicely <laughs> nice digestion after digesting two morsels nicely only you will eat two more morsels how many want to do that then why do you do it with god's word why do you stop at two verses why do you stop at one chapter why do you stop at five chapters the bible says in the book of ezra they all gathered together and morning to evening they read the word of god and they cried out unto the lord when their hearts were rent with repentance read the word read the word oh we read the word on the way to work halfway through then we'll say that that this one not good i'll change then we'll think no 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 we'll put music then we'll put music for a little time and then you know we'll we keep changing these things because we can't focus on anything the whole counsel of scripture number 9 principle number 9 the holy spirit is not a substitute for hard work hello holy spirit is not a substitute for hard work don't get up that morning and say jesus <laughs> you know i didn't prepare <laughs> you know <laughs> you know these pastors there are so many pastors here you know pastors you know you know problem with being a pastor and especially if you're married saturday night when we want to prepare the message is when your fight wife and you begin to fight you want some peace somehow you want some peace suddenly suddenly you do you never talk to me whole week you are out you are never talking to are i don't even talk to the holy ghost give me some time to talk to the holy ghost <laughs> I, i need to talk to but it's a fact that most of us pastors and our wives how many pastors and wives saturday night if not it's sunday morning just before going to church <laughs> my wife and i i remember the early days of our marriage we had this bajaj chetak scooter i was in north india gwalior sunday morning 8 o'clock we go to church i'm all revved up to preach i'm getting up and something i didn't do or something i said or something we didn't put the clothes in the washing machine or i didn't help with the children or something something went wrong and she's upset we got on the scooter i'm driving and there's silence like in heaven there's silence in the back for half an hour <laughs> and now you don't know what to say cause anything you say shall be held against you you have the right to remain silent <laughs> early days i tried to say after early days i understood i better shut up wise fellow just keep quiet and pray in tongue shantoru ka basha bakata rabba ka shatara bakara and you go to church and people have come that morning some people have fasted and prayed without food they came to church jesus i will not eat till you speak to me 
and pastor i have come to the front i am ready to preach i am looking at the crowd my wife is sitting in the back and while i am preaching i am looking everywhere except there because if i look there <laughs> i will get upset so i try to avoid she is also not looking at me because she is thinking this rascal <laughs> what all he is preaching up there in the front only i know pastor is calling everyone to the front come 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 brother come receive and 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 falls down pastor's wife is saying he blows at everybody they fall why he doesn't blow on me you come here fellow you blow on me then you let's see if you're anointed or not why why anointing only on on that side i'm not talking about you How many pastors do I have here? Come on! Oh, there we go. I feel an anointing in this house. Karabha, karabha. I will not look there, that side, because, and she is thinking, you come home today. And what is worse is if she is really upset with me, in the back she will sit and cry. These are the early days. She'll she'll cry because she's thinking Jesus, what did I do wrong for you to give me some man like this? <laughs> I really prayed, fasted, I cried, forty days I fasted. I heard your voice. You gave me Bible reference confirmation also. <laughs> Pastor, while he is preaching. He is coming, but turn your Bibles and he comes and halfway through, his eye falls on the Bible reference confirmation he got about his wife. <laughs> and he stuck there during the message. And now he is wondering, Lord, you gave me confirmation. Both are thinking same confirmation only. <laughs> Did I really hear you? And while he is thinking, Did I really hear you? That morning his message is recognizing the voice of God. I tell you, we have seen days. How many of you have seen days like that, like I have? I tell you, carousel leaders, before carousel starts only, why you didn't open the packet and put it there? I have to do morning to night, I have to work. You come and you on the TV and you sit over there with your leg up. <laughs> huh? What kind of fellow you are, man of God over? So, <laughs> That's just how it is. One day, one, one woman saw her husband preaching in a convention, convention. He's on fire. The Holy Ghost is on him. And thousands of people. And in the back, his wife is sitting there in the back. Halfway through, while he was preaching, he saw his wife get up and go. So now he's wondering, where is she going? What's going on? Where is she going? So after the meeting is over, she's, she comes back after some time. Just before the meeting is over, she comes back. 
so after the meeting is so over, husbands, usually pastors, they love their wives, they, they want to know what wife has to say. More than anyone else, the people say message was powerful, but we want to know what wife has to say. So, so we asked the wife, hey, in between I saw you go somewhere and come. What happened? Where you went? She says, see, actually, no, I was looking at you on the stage. You looked like an angel. But when you come home, you're like a devil. Therefore, I thought I'll go home. I brought a mat and a pillow so that you can stay here in the pulpit. Please don't come home. <laughs> he remains an angel so that you can remain an angel. See, the Holy Ghost, you know, as a worship leader, when I started, when I got saved and I got born again, I started as a worship leader, even though I preached. And these worship leaders have also tricks. How many worship leaders do I have here? Show me hands. Worship leaders. Come on. You lead worship somewhere or the other. Come on. Worship leaders. You know, you have a trick. You come there and you get, take that guitar and drink. And you're up there in the front mic. You're adjusting the mic. Sound check. Treble, treble, check, check. Come, give me some more mid, please. Mid, mid. Drink. Shanto baka sata kere. You're in front of the mic and you go, mm-hmm. Shukarabasanta. Yes, yes, Lord. Yes. Oh, I feel an anointing in this place. Now, because I'm a worship leader, <laughs> I have been a worship leader, I feel like sneaking up behind him. And if the worship leader is going, mm-hmm, yeah, uh-huh, I feel like sneaking up behind his ear and asking, what is he saying? Because what the worship leader is really saying, Jesus, you know I couldn't find time. One more time, like Samson, one more time. Can you tell, please tell me the songs I should take in order? And there he is hearing, my son, song number one, this is the day. And he's saying, mm-hmm. <laughs> song two, as the deer pants, aha. Oh, oh, oh. Aha, scale, D. At that time he's trying, uh, scale, uh, flow from G scale to D scale to, he's got that. By the time his initial prayer, and you've seen some of us pastors, we come up to the front, some of those are pastors. We opened the Bible, halfway through we are stuck. And when we are stuck, we don't know which is the next point. So, we'll be turning the Bible and we'll say, why don't you all pray in tongues for some time right now? <laughs> We've all done that. We've all done that. The Holy Spirit is not a substitute for hard work. Study, read, prepare, study, read, prepare, pray, 
fast seek god take days to pray fast read study and i tell you the revelation you get when you are prepared even today for me next year will be 30 years since i've started preaching this gospel even today i i know a lot of the scriptures but even today when i prepare and study i do a far better job than pulling things out from here and there and i know there are those odd days where there are those odd days you put on the spot hear from god after 30 years of preaching i am telling you with the lord as my witness and those of you some of you may know me in 30 years if you heard me i can preach cover to cover my staff, my colleague dr matthew's daughter is here i've seen her from the time she's born i if you guys have heard me i can preach from cover to cover a lot of poetry. maybe not the prophetic books i don't dwell too much into the prophetic books but from cover to cover and someone like that who's read the bible multiple times who studied it multiple times i have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of bible study notes that i have studied and prepared through the years after 30 years till today before going up to preach somewhere even today i ask the lord lord what is it that your people need today even before coming up you remember on the first day i asked you to spoke to you i said i'm going to teach you bible interpretation i asked the lord but before coming up today i asked him again i said jesus is this it is there something else they need today if there's something else i need grace you know i was 10 15 10 minutes late to come up here i was finishing preparing the notes the holy spirit is not a substitute for hard work amen be a diligent student of god's word principle number 10 principle 9 you read you study the greek study the hebrew study the history read up check up in the in other books in concordances in the on the net do what you can study 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 pray 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 study pray study pray prepare put messages together and you'll come out with great messages point number 10 point number 10 do not base your convictions or get doctrinal revelations based on obscure portions of scripture amen don't make major doctrines out of minor portions of scripture where for example the bible says then why is it that people were baptized for the dead don't make a church doctrine out of that because you don't have anything else anywhere else in the scripture to interpret that all we can say is that there seems to have been some practice there we are not clear what the practice was we are not clear what they meant by dead we are not clear by what there is no other reference anywhere that we can explain that there are historic maybe there is historical so but don't make a major doctrine out of a obscure passage of scripture if the verses are not absolutely clear you are setting yourself up for confusion if you have a thousand verses that are clear to you why are you stuck with the two verses that are not clear and why do you want to make a doctrine out of it so look at the scripture be faithful to the clear passages of scripture over the unclear passages of scripture 
That is why when people make up theories or Bible teaching about Brethrenism or immortality, don't make don't make major theology out of that or multiplying money from your empty purse. Don't make theology out of that. In fact, don't major on the minor. Amen. Somebody says, I live by breathing the power of the of the air around me. I don't eat. When somebody says that, that doesn't interest me. Why? Jesus did not preach about it. The disciples did not preach about it. Christian orthodoxy doesn't talk about it. Bible fundamental theology doesn't talk about it. And so if you live without eating, thank you very much. Happy birthday. Don't make a theology out of it. Do you understand? Now is it proved that that person eats, lives without eating? Is it proved that this one? We don't know. Even if it is proved, happy birthday. Don't make major theology over Brethrenism, immortality, hyper grace, taking one verse here and there and making it into theology. Because the problem with hyper grace kind of theology, cults, cult groups, almost invariably, they build a major theology over a small portion of scripture. Two verses here, one verse there. And they make an entire teaching based on that. So don't make major convictions out of minor portions of scripture. Principle number 11, and this is the final principle. And I'm telling you, and we're going to close. Purpose of study of scripture is to respond to God, to know Him and to be the agents of God's purpose. The purpose of scripture is to know God, to study His scripture and to become agents of His scripture. Amen. So when you study a scripture, read it, make divisions, natural divisions. Where does one portion of talk finish? Where does the next one start? Give a little divisions, title, all of that. When you read Zacchaeus, climbed a tree, who was Zacchaeus, where was he, what was he doing, ask those questions, which tree he climbed, how long he stayed on top of the tree, where did he come back, when did he go, where did he go, how did he go, all that. Read all of that and study observation, interpretation and application. Go with these three words when you study that. Observation, what all did I, do I, observe. Interpretation, do the literal, grammatical, historical and finally application. How can I apply what I studied for my own life? Amen? When you study covering the head, what is the application? Submit to your husbands. Amen? Hallelujah. When you study about Jesus loving the church, husbands, what is the application? Love your wives as Christ loved the church. Amen? Use these principles and God will use you mightily. Pastor, I've run out of time. I know I've taken extra time. I want to give it over to you unless you have some other plan. I want to hand it back to you. Amen. We really run out of time. I wanted to open for questions, but I just leave that over to you. Thank you so much. Five minutes for questions. Any important questions? Uh, Pastor Vijay, you have a question? Uh, how do you respond to people who say only whose people who study Hebrew, Greek can understand and interpret correctly? I would respond saying that it's a good suggestion, 
but even the people who studied Hebrew and Greek cannot interpret it correctly because the present-day Hebrew is not the Hebrew in which the Bible scriptures were written. It was written in ancient Hebrew. So it's important to, if you can study Hebrew and Greek, it's great. But by studying present-day Hebrew Greek, you will not get it. There are words that you still don't know. You know why there are many different portions of scripture where different translations translate it differently? Because different Hebrew and Greek people who have studied it have difference of an opinion of what it means. So even if you studied it, you may not be able to completely interpret it. But my answer is, yes, please try to study Hebrew and Greek. I believe every pastor must try to, if not, at least use Bible tools. Go back into the, you, you have today online tools, interlinear Bible, where you have the English word and you have the, the Hebrew. Use the Strong's concordances. What does it mean there? Even if you do all of that, you may not be able to get the accurate meaning, but at least you're far better than many. And I fully agree that if I were to study any text, if I were to study, where do you come from originally? You come from Andhra Pradesh. If I were to study an Andhra literature book, translated by a white man into Spanish. The best way to understand it would be to learn Andhra, go back to Andhra culture, talk to Andhra people, find out why they did what they did, how they did it, why they put so much chili in their food, why they eat yogurt and rice in the end, why they put grain, whatever, you know, dal in, in their achar. You know, ask them those questions and you will get. So I think it's very important to, I agree with them, it's good to study. But please don't make uh, Bible doctrine out of that you will understand the Bible only if you read Hebrew and Greek. Uh, you can understand the Bible also if you read it in English. But to study it better, go back to other tools that can help you. One more last question. Anybody? Uh, I think the simple way to do it is to, is to look for literal application of the things that you may not have. Uh, you, uh, uh, the simplest way is to look at literal application. And where we don't understand, leave it. Now, for example, when I was a young child, I read many portions of scripture, literally. So when I came to the portion of, uh, unless, uh, uh, you know, like a camel going through the eye of a needle, and I didn't have an interpretation, I left it. Correct. Yeah, so I would say that is why it's good to study. It is good to try to find people that can help us study the Greek, the Hebrew. It is, that is why we must learn to try to find tools. When I grew up as a young child, I didn't have the money for any tool. I didn't have the money for software. I didn't have the money for any books. And in those days, I just read the Bible and read the Bible and read the Bible. And I, and I also, after that, depended on the Holy Spirit to help me through that season. As years went on, we listened to other messages. Somebody told us something and all of that. And I want you to know. The secret things of God belong to God. But that which God has intended for fundamental understanding, Jesus died on the cross for our sins, it's very clear. You don't need Bible. For fundamental theology, you do not need great Bible interpretation. It's clear. We sinned. Jesus died on the cross for our sin. He was buried. He was raised from the dead. He's gone to heaven. He's coming back to judge the quick and the dead. You don't need any Bible interpretation for that. So even the village pastor will understand this much. So let's not. In fact, there are many villages in India, the pastors don't know to read and write. They've heard through oral. And the Holy Spirit is faithful to help them even through that. Now, what if they misunderstand that? Then there is a judgment of the conscience. Romans chapter 1 verse 16 onwards. That the things of God are revealed to them through the created things. 
through the things therefore they are without excuse suppose you didn't understand one line of the bible then god will judge you according to your conscience and god is revealing things to their heart through their conscience so we have nothing to be afraid will god judge righteously yes god is a righteous god if he's not a righteous god i cannot believe this bible this entire thesis of the bible will break down if he's a righteous god then my question is is he more righteous than me when i ask the question what about those who never heard the gospel i'm asking from a position of righteousness i'm asking that i feel it's unfair that people should go to christless eternity without the gospel when i'm asking from that position of righteousness i am then questioning whether god is a righteous god if i have a doubt about his righteousness then you cannot believe the bible but if there's no doubt about his righteousness then he's more righteous than me then he will judge them righteously amen so go back to the fact that god will judge according to our conscience if you don't know anything from the bible god will judge us according to our conscience that's what i would say